we're talking about the one true God. Who is God and what can we know about God? Now, we're not going to talk about does God exist. If, again, if you have questions about how do we know God exists or things like that, or you get questions throughout this lesson, there's a, 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 an email address on your notes that you can email questions to. And we encourage you to do that. At the end of every five to six weeks, we will stop and do a, a question night. And we'll go back and recap what we've learned and go through any questions that you have. And so anything that you have questions about, send them uh, to that email address. So we're not talking about the existence of God. The Bible just assumes the existence of God and teaches us to do it, but it also reveals some things about the existence of God that'll, that can help us if we want to get into that. A.W. Tozer, who's one of the great Christian writers, a pastor of the last century, said this. He said, the reason for the weak Christian is an inadequate concept of God. The reason for the weak Christian is an inadequate concept of God. Not understanding who God is. Here's the problem. The, the, the bigger the picture we see of God, when we see God at the, the macro, the big level, and we look at God like you try to look at the universe, and you try, to, you try to comprehend the universe. It's overwhelming to try to get your mind around how big the universe is and then to understand God created all that and is bigger than all of that. So the big picture, we get humbled. The big picture of God, we get filled with fear. The big picture of God, we can be overwhelmed, confused, and lost. So God doesn't he gives us some of that picture so we see who he is. But we also get more detail. When we see the detail about God, we get filled with joy. We get filled with thankfulness. We get filled with peace. We get filled with love. We get filled with hope. We get filled with faith. So we're going to start tonight uh, looking a little bit at both. We're going to start with the big picture of God, a part of the big picture of God. And as we go through the next few moments together, we're going to work our way down to more detailed pictures of God that he reveals to us that helps us understand him and comprehend him and celebrate a, a little bit. So here's what we've, we've got to get a, a picture of as we, as we walk through this. The makeup of the one God. Now normally, when you, when you do something like this, you, you want to bring clarity to things. But today, we're going to talk about an unknowable concept we have the Father, we have the Son, and we have the Holy Spirit. Three persons, one God. Let me just show you a couple of scriptures that, that, that speak to this issue. Matthew 28, the, 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 the Great Commission. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. So there you, you, you begin to see this essence. 2 Corinthians uh, 13 says, The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you. So what we see in these two pa uh, passages are a simple picture of what we call the Trinity. So 
this, is a, this, this concept today is supported by the Word of God, and yet it's, it's, it's a hard, incomprehensible concept for us to capture. Let me share again what, one, what a writer says about it. God is one. He exists and, re, and he reveals himself in three persons, each having a distinctive purpose in the Godhead. So you got that? Three persons, one God. Let's see if I can confuse this some more as we go on. The word Trinity, which is what we talk about when we talk about this concept, is not found in the Bible, but it's a terminology that represents a biblical concept about God. The term triune combines tri, which means three, and unity, which means one, three and one. Again, let me give you another picture of this, Matthew chapter 3. As soon as Jesus, as soon as Jesus, who's he, the Son of God, was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. So you've got Jesus coming up out of the water, the Holy Spirit descending like a dove, and God the Father speaking and talking. In John chapter 14, Jesus says this, And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive, the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and, be, and will be with you. Jesus is now asking the Father to send the Helper, the Holy Spirit. So the Bible teaches, without a doubt, God the Holy Spirit is co-equal, co-existent, and co-eternal with God the Father and God the Son. He's not a creation of God the Father or simply the Spirit of God the Father. He is God and always has been and forever will be. Nevertheless, Jesus Christ is not the Father. The Father is not the Holy Spirit. The Son is not the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is not the Son. And yet they are one and the same because they are God. We all understand that now, right? <laughs> People use a lot of analogies to try to explain this, but at some point they all far, fall short and will be attacked by others as heresy. So if you think you've got this concept down, my encouragement to you is uh, write a book and then duck for cover. <laughs> a couple things to understand. God is numerically one. God is numerically one. God is completely unique. God is collectively one. And God cannot be divided into parts. So, Got to be real careful with this. There's false teaching that goes around. I want to touch on that for just a second. False teaching is the belief that the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit are three separate gods. That's a false teaching. 
the belief that the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are three aspects of one God is a false teaching. The belief that the Father at some point in time created the Son and established the Holy Spirit is a false teaching. We just have to, this is one of these things where it's like God, like we know God created the stars in the, in the heavens and we know he did that by the power and the wisdom of his voice and his strength and his glory and his will. And we can sit and say, okay, we understand that. But how did he do that? How did that happen? We don't know what force caused all that we, we accept by faith that God created. We accept by faith that he did it. And the same way we sit, we sit there and we accept this by faith that the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are three in one. So that's, that's part of the big picture. If you want to get down to it, we want to begin to study what are the attributes of God. And God reveals himself in his word so that we can know who he is and then he gives us concepts that sometimes we have a hard time understanding. But we, as we get farther and farther through it, we understand it more and more. The first of, the, of these attributes of God is this. God is eternal. God is eternal. He dwells with you and me. He is the great I am. We are, we are placed in time with a beginning and an end, not God. He always has been and always will be. This is a concept, again, that is hard for us to grasp. He's always been. He, when you think about God the creator, one of the things he created is time. He created all things. God has always been and God always will be. He is an eternal he is an eternal God. God is not limited in time in any way. This is the second thing we need to understand about God. God is self-existent and self-sufficient. God has no need for anything to exist. If we closed up this room and sucked all the air out of it, none of us would live very long. God has no need for air. God has no need for water. He has no need for food. He created all things. All things exist at his will. Not for him, but through him. We are created simply to be a place for him to express his love. So the question's asked, who made God? And the simple answer to that is God did not need to be made because he was always there. He's always been. Didn't need to be born, didn't need to be created, didn't need to come about at the beginning. He's always been, which is hard for us who live in a timeline to capture. What, we're, what we discover when we begin to look at these things is how much greater than us God is. We worship him, not because he needs our worship, but because it is a right, because worship is a rightful expression of what he has done for us and who he is. And so when we see the eternal God, the, the God who is completely 
uh, self-sustaining in every way, powerful and mighty. It is a rightful expression for his creation. Who, who is, God gives a concept of that to express worship to him. When we understand some of these things that he's done for us, it is a rightful response for us to worship him. To not worship him is to not understand him or to rebel against him. If you understand him, you're going to want to worship him. If you understand, you're going to want to worship him in ways that he deems pleasing because you understand there's nothing that we can really offer him to, to really please him except what he tells us pleases him. To cre- try to create something on our own is a step out of what he has told us to do. So this, a, a, a rightful expression of singing, of worshiping, of lifting our hands, of bowing before him. This is what he's told us in his word to do. It is a rightful expression of recognizing how great he is and who he is for us. To have a grateful heart that he created us and gave us life. Let me, let me take this a little bit further for you. We give first fruits offerings. We call them tithe. It's a recognition that he is our provider. That everything we have, the air we breathe, the, 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 the life we have, the things we're blessed with, he provides us with it. He's never going to run out. It's a recognition that we sit and say, well, if I tithe, I'm giving up 10% of what I have. No, I'm putting myself in line with the one who never runs out. I'm aligning myself with the one who has more than, more than enough, who, who can create anything that we need at any time, who will never fall short. It is a recognition that he is the provider, he is the creator, and it is, a, again, a rightful expression to say, I want to do something to recognize. So, so listen, when you pay your tithe, you know, you're not paying it to me. You're not paying it even to the church. Tithe is an act of worship to God. Now, what the church does with it, what I do with it, I'll answer for, the church will answer for. Are you with me so far? The responsibility I have as a giver is to pay my tithe. To say, not... And why do I pay it? I pay it in recognition that God gives me everything. It's a rightful expression from the very beginning of the Bible all the way through the Bible. It's a rightful expression of our gratefulness of the self-sufficient God who gives us all things and who will never run out. So we we do that for Him. We do that in obedience to Him. See, God does not change Malachi 3, 6 says, For I, the Lord, do not change. The God of the Old Testament is the same God of the New Testament. And people want to say, Oh, the God of the Old Testament, he he did this and he did that. Yes, God acted in judgment. God did things in judgment for people's sin and for the way that sin corrupted them so much that they were harmful to so many other people that God finally brought judgment on them. 
Now remember this. God doesn't change. Right now, we live under a period of grace because Jesus came and ushered in a period of grace. But the day is going to come when that period of grace ends and the God who judged in the past is going to judge again in the future. I can count on him to be a loving God to anybody who calls on him because he says he doesn't change. When, my sin, when, I'm, when I feel guilty about my sin and appalled about my sin, I can remember God doesn't change. He says everybody who calls upon him will be saved. And so I can count on the fact that God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. We can also understand this. God is all-powerful. We see his power in creation. Ephesians 3.20 says, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power at work within us. I don't know about you, but I can dream of some pretty big dreams, can't you? And God says, no matter how big your dreams are, no matter what you're thinking about, no matter how, what, his power is greater than all of that. Whatever you ask for, his power is great enough to do that. That's why we come down at the, the front and we pray uh, on Sunday mornings for people's needs because we believe that God is able to do anything we ask for. He is all-powerful. Nobody's going to come down to this altar ever and present us with a need that God's going to whisper in our ear, oh, uh, that one's too big for me. That's not happening, folks. That's not happening. You're never going to take a need before God and God go, oh, that, wow, I don't know what to do. That's never going to happen. God can meet every need. He's big enough for everything. And his dreams for our life are greater and our eternity are greater than what we can imagine. Greater than anything we thought of. This is why we want to put our life in his hand and not in our hand. We want it to be in his hand because he's the one who dreams bigger and greater than we do and he's powerful enough to get it done, to make it happen. This is good news. This means he can save us. This means he can heal us. This means he can set us free from addictions. This means he can raise us from the dead. This means he can give us eternal life because he is all-powerful. Now, now here's one that should give us all pause. God knows all things. The eyes of the Lord are in every place, keeping watch on the evil and the good. Psalm 139.1 says, O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down, when I rise up, you discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all of my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. Now there's a part of that that's frightening. Because you can't, (laughs) when we understand that, we understand that we cannot manipulate God. So let's go back to giving. You can't come in and say, okay, I'm going to put this in the offering because if I do, God has to do this, that, or the other. God doesn't have to do anything. God knows your heart. 
God knows whether you're sincere or whether you're lying. God knows the intent of why you did what you did. God knows everything. He searches our hearts and knows everything. He is the perfect judge because he perfectly knows us. Now that in itself makes my knees knock together sometimes. To know that God knows everything about me and every thought about me and it keeps me humble praying this all-powerful God for his mercy. Here's the other part of it though. Here's the part that, should ta- that helps take fright away from us. God knows all things. So he knows every event of my life up until now. And he's all powerful to be able to heal the ones that have hurt me. God knows every event in my life in the future. He knows everything that's coming. He knows everything that's ever going to happen. And he can help us and prepare us and get us ready to walk through anything in the future for the glory of his kingdom. So I can walk in this confidence that God has not been taken by surprise. You're never going to face something and look up at God and say, what's this all about? And go, I, I didn't see that coming. He knows everything. He knows it before it happens. And if I rest in him, he's going to walk me through it and give me strength through it. So be sure, because he knows the motives of our heart. God is everywhere. Psalm 139 goes on to say, Where shall I go from your spirit, or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. He's everywhere, wherever you go. Any moment, any point in time, you can cry out to him. He's there. But also, you can't hide from him. Others may not see or know what you're doing. God's right there. He's a perfect witness to what you're doing in your life. This is why we live our life daily for his glory. It's why we live a lot, our life needs to be consistent day in and day out because God is always there. If you we need to remember God's there so I need to act in a way that recognizes God's there. The words that come out of my mouth, the actions of my life, he is witness to all of it. He is right there with us. But not only is he right there with us, he's there with us all powerfully to give us the strength to walk through it. Now remember this, Satan can only be in one place at a time. He can only be in one place at a time. God can be everywhere. God can be everywhere. He can be be there to meet our, our perfect need. God is holy. This means he is separate from all that is evil. This is why Jesus, the Holy One, had to die for us. So his holy blood would cover our sin, pay the price, and allow us back into his presence. Because God is holy and is separated from evil, we couldn't come into the presence of God. We can't earn our way back into the presence of God. Jesus the Son of God, had to come, die on the cross for us, shed his blood for us, pay the price for our sin so his sin, his blood, could be applied to us so that when we come before God, we are covered with the perfect, 
holy blood of the Lamb. Otherwise, there's no entrance in the presence of God, folks. Can't earn it, can't get there. Hebrews 10, 19 says this, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh. This is the work Jesus did for us that we could never do on our own. Again, why we should always be humble. Why we should never look down on somebody else because of their faults or their failures in a judgmental, harsh way, in a condemning way, feeling like we're better than them. We are all in the same boat with the nature of sin. That without the blood of Christ, we would all be lost. Jesus is the only one that's worthy to be lifted up on high. Hebrews chapter 12 goes on to say, Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. We, we shouldn't be lighthearted about this serving God. We shouldn't be lighthearted about worship of God. We shouldn't be lighthearted. We should be serious in all of our concepts about how to serve. That doesn't mean we can't have fun. God made us so we can enjoy ourselves. And, but we should be serious about worshiping Him acceptably. This is why the mature believer comes into the gates of, of God's house, comes into God's house to join in with corporate worship. And it's, it's not going to be dictated by how he feels that day. Because God is worthy of my worship no matter how I feel. It's why the serious believer begins to bring worship and praise into his life daily because God is worthy of our worship and our praise daily. It's why in the, in the New Testament we're so clearly told, listen to this, not to judge those outside the church. They're just acting like people who are lost. But to to bring some judgment to those inside the church who say they're Christians and don't act like it. Because they, they demean the name of Jesus. We demean the name of Jesus when we say we're his followers and we act in ways that are unbecoming of followers. We need to be serious about worshiping God. Now, that's a complicated issue. Because you start with a believer who gets saved Sunday who doesn't have a clue what it means to live a life worthy of Christ. He begins to grow in that through the power of God. But as we grow in it, there needs to be some accountability in our life that we live in a way that is pleasing to God in everything that we do. We worship Him with reverence and with awe for he is a consuming fire. God is good. Psalm 100 verse, verse 5 says, For the Lord is good, his steadfast love endures forever, and his faithfulness to all generations. God's going to make the good choice. God is righteous. This means God always does what's right. He can forgive us our sins because he's already punished sin through Jesus' death. But he's going to always do what's right. Right? 
but we have to confess and receive the work of Jesus into our lives. So those are some of the big attributes of God, and they kind of bring things down. But now I want us to take, in the next few minutes, a little bit of a closer look. As you came in tonight, if you got here early, we had a video up, and it began to talk about the the names of God. These are the, the compound names of God, most of which are found in the Old Testament. The compound names of God are given to us in the Old Testament for God to reveal a specific aspect of who He is and what He does in our life so we can look not at the big picture of who God is that can frighten us and scare us, but that we can look at a pinpoint picture of what God is and see what kind of a relationship He wants to have with us. So I can't talk about all these compound names of God tonight, but uh, I, I want you to see a few of these compound names of God. The first one is this, Jehovah uh, Sidkenu. This is Jehovah our righteousness. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says this, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Have you ever read that prayer, that the fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much, and then wonder if you're qualified? I've wondered many times, God, am I qualified? I can pray fervently, but I'm not so sure about my righteousness. Well, I'm not praying in my righteousness. I get to pray in Jesus' righteousness. I'm not resting in my righteousness. I'm resting in his right. This doesn't give me uh, the freedom to play with sin and say, oh, well, God, Jesus has it covered. No, that's rebellion. That's disrespectful to God. That's not living in awe and reverence of God. But it also gives me the freedom that in my failings and my, and my faults, I can still come boldly before the throne of God because Jesus is my righteousness. I can still trust him and rest in his righteousness when I come before God and I can come before him realizing that I'm a sinner covered by the blood of the Lamb. This this reveals to us who Jesus, who God chooses to be in our life. Uh, Jehovah Mekedesh, Jehovah who sanctifies. The primary meaning of sanctify is to set apart. So in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 it says, and such were some of you talking about sin. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. God, when we call out to Him, He moves to set us apart, to become His children, to be His. The enemy wants to rob us of that thought. I want you to capture that thought tonight. That God has set you apart. He sanctifies us when we wholeheartedly come to serve Him. And we give our life to Him and we follow Him. He sets us apart as His children to work in our lives. That is good news, friends. Here's nothing we need to know about Jehovah Shalom. Jehovah is peace. This speaks to wholeness and harmony with God and contentment in life. All of us. 
face things at times that rob our lives of peace. Sometimes it's just who we are. We have a hard time, some of us, with peace. He wants to be our peace. He wants us to walk in harmony with him, and he wants us to walk through life with his peace ruling in our heart. This is what fits with our with the first statement in our vision statement where Jesus says you, we've come, he came that we might have life to the full. Part of it is this peace that comes from knowing that God loves us. God loves you. He cares about you. And when you are in pursuit of him, he's going to take care of you. You can rest in God and his presence will come into your life. When your heart's troubled, when you're worried, when you've got something that makes you fear, when you don't know what to do next, the Christian knows, I need to get, get along with God because these feelings that I have of fear, of frustration, of worry, of, of uh, unsettledness, these are not the feelings of the presence of God. If I get along with God, His peace will rule in my life. His peace that passes understanding that we read about in Philippians. But we have to learn. That's who he is. If I don't have peace, that is a sign, not of my circumstances. It's a sign of my relationship and, my, and the presence of God in my life. So many times, I want to tell you, so many times, believers, if you'll learn this, you'll go, when you, when you find yourself in that place, instead of freaking out or instead of laying down in, in the room and turning all the lights out and being filled with the you go to God and seek him. Bring your prayers and requests before him with thanksgiving, thanking him for who he is, praising him and seeking him, and then his peace begins to rule in your heart. Now, I want to tell you an interesting thing about that that I've discovered in my life. That doesn't mean he's taking care of the problem yet. That doesn't mean that something happened and he fixed everything at that moment. It means his peace is with me in that moment. So I know if I'm going through a tough time, I know exactly what I've got to do. I've got to go get along with God. He is Jehovah Shalom. He is God, my peace. And I want to be in his presence. Colossians says this, For in him all the fullness of God pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of the cross, of his cross. And you who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he is now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. We now can rest in peace knowing that the blood of Jesus has covered our sin. Jehovah Shammah, Jehovah's there. 1 Corinthians 3.16, do you not know that you are God's temple and God's spirit dwells in you? This understanding that God is transcendent. He's great, he's mighty, he's powerful. He is everywhere all the time. He's all places. And yet he is present with us. You're never going to be someplace and God not be there. You're never alone. You're never by yourself. 
He is closer than a whisper because all your heart has to do is speak to him. All your heart has to do is open yourself up to him. He is there with you all the time. You, wherever you go, when you go to work, God is there. When you, when you go to visit family, God is there. When you go on vacation, God is there. He is everywhere. He is with you all the time. In the, in the loneliest moments of your life, you can, you can know God is there. In the, in the midst of great celebration, you can know God is there. We can reach him in a second. He's never, you're never going to find that the line's busy or he's not there. He's there. He's listening. He's with us. This is how he reveals himself to us. He's giving us these compound names, these names that express who he is so we know how to relate to him. And, and so we want you to relate to him in this way. He's there with you wherever you go. He whispers in your heart, go say something to that person over there. Go do this thing over there. Don't do this, do that. You need to listen. He's there. He's going to be with you when you go. He's going to be with you when you obey. He'll be there when you disobey. But he's never going to be away from you. He's there with every one of us. Jehovah Rophi is uh, Jehovah heals. And in essence, what this means is, is, is not only in a physical sense, but in a spiritual sense. To restore, to cure, to heal. Not only in a physical sense, but also in a spiritual and moral sense. God's relationship with us comes into us to give us health and strength. So we have every right to come before him when we're sick and ask him to touch us and heal us. Now the greatest place where he wants to touch us and heal us, where we need to cooperate with him, is spiritually and morally to restore a moral healing in our life so that we walk according to his revealed word in a way that is pleasing to him. If we don't do that, then we reject an essence of who he is. When we continue in immoral activities, we reject an essence of who he is and push him away from our life. He sees us, he knows us, He's there with us. He's all-powerful, but he's not going to make it. He's given me free will to, do, to make my choices, and then I'm going to pay the price for those choices. What he wants to do is he wants to come into my life to heal me. He wants to heal you of your wounds from the past. Maybe you were abused. Maybe you were somebody that people have told you that you're not worth anything or told you that you can never amount to anything or told you you can't. God wants to heal you of all that junk, all the stuff that this world's brought into your life, He's the healer of all of that. He wants to heal your mind from it. He wants to heal your spirit from it. He wants to heal you of that fear. He wants to heal you of that insecurity. He wants to heal you of that wound. He wants you to walk in the wholeness of who he is. And he is Jehovah, our healer, who will heal us of those things as we come and present them to, to him and allow him to move inside of our life. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Jehovah Jireh, Jehovah's provision shall be seen. God sees our need beforehand and provides for our need. He did not spare his son, Romans says, but gave him up for all of us. How, he, how will he not also 
with him graciously give us all things. God, this scripture, Paul's saying, listen, God loved you so much, he saw your needs so much that he sent his son to meet your need. That God, do you think he's not going to graciously give to you the things you need in life? You can trust in him. He is God our provider. Jehovah Nisi is God, Jehovah our banner, banner. He has defeated death and he is now our victory banner. Hebrews chapter 2 says, Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. He says, listen, the devil had the power of death. Jesus came and paid the price for it. He defeated him. And now we can know this. We can wear this banner. We are eternal souls going to live for eternity in the presence of God. That's a reason to celebrate. That's a reason for us to build in our life so we don't have fear of this first death, but that we have confidence that he is our banner of victory in all things. And, and, and finally tonight, Jehovah-Rohi, Jehovah our shepherd, Hebrews chapter 13. Now may the God of peace who brought again uh, from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. He wants to shepherd us. He will shepherd us if we'll pay attention to him. All these things you've heard tonight are God revealing who he is to us in a very specific way to meet our needs. You can count on him to guide you. You can count on him to lead you into all truth. But you've got to enter into that relationship with him where you listen to him, where you say, God, you're my shepherd. I'll tell you, with me, with these compound names of God, there's been so many times when I'll come and I'll say, God, I need direction. I know you're my shepherd. I don't know what to do about this set of circumstances, God. You're my shepherd. I'm here to listen to you. God, there's these four choices we have here. We've got to make one choice here. God, you're my shepherd. I don't want to make a choice on my own. I want to hear what you have, have to say. I want you to be with me. Facing something that's, oh, God, this is bigger than me. This is bigger than me. I, I, can't, I can't handle this, God, but you're, you're all powerful. This is nothing to you. This is nothing to you. This is no big deal for you. You can handle this. God, I'm out of my own resources. I don't know what to do. I, I don't have any. God, you're my provider. You're my provider. I'm just coming to you. I'm thanking you for being, a, being my provider. I'm thanking you for taking care of me. I'm thanking you for, for all the things in the past where you've taken care of my need. God, I feel alone right now. I feel, I feel alone, but I know you're there. I know you're there. I know you hear my cry. God, you see this place in my life where I'm pretty wounded right now. God, you're my healer. You're the one that heals me. When we know these compound names of God, we know who God is. We know how he relates to us. And we know how to come and approach him. And it builds a foundation for us 
that, that, that reminds me when I'm walking through life and a temptation comes my way and I feel a check in my spirit, oh, thank you, Lord, I know you're here. I know you're with me. I'm walking away from that, God. I'm getting away from it as quick as I can. Not going that direction. Going another direction. Because you're with me. But you've got to know this, these things about who God is so you can walk in them. So here's my, here's my instruction to you. These are these compound names of the Old Testament that, uh, that reveal to us new, the New Testament co- covenant and how God relates to us today. So here's my encouragement to you. Take this, take this paper, take these things, and, and just pray your way through them. Sit and think about them. Ask God to show, God, what do you mean you want to be my healer? God, what do you mean you're there all the time? Well, how, does that, how does that change me? How should I look at the world when I understand that? God, you're my righteousness. What does that say to me? God, what are you trying to reveal to me? And just read those scriptures. Think about how God has identified himself to us. Think about the fact that he's all-powerful. He's all-knowing. He's ever-present. And just let the weight of who God is in ways that he's revealed us so that we can understand. There's a lot about God. The Trinity, a lot about God we can't understand. He's given us some wonderful things we can understand so we don't miss it and we can walk in his peace and in his strength. Why walk around filled with worry when you can have the peace of God in your life? Amen? Are you getting this tonight? Is this good? Found it. Amen. Bless the Lord.